The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're starting by looking at the world of work. Will artificial intelligence mean that your job could be done by robots? Will you get a pay rise in the near future? Are people working harder in the gig economy? And also, are you being hauled back into the office? Is the days of working from home over? Let us know your views because our expert panel here will be telling us all of their thoughts on it in just a moment. But as I said, let, let us know your views on work. 87 400 102. But I'm delighted to be joined in studio by a panel to discuss this. Maeve McElwee is Director of Employer Relations at IBEC. Kieran Nugent is an economist at the Nevin Research Institute. And Kevin Empey is founder of Work Matters, a consulting and training firm. Thank you all very much for coming into studio today on this. I suppose, Maeve, might just start off with you because when I was talking to Matt a couple of weeks ago about the employment figures, we We've never had more people in work in this country. We have seen an increase of employment despite some high-profile job losses and wages are going up. Is this a great time to be an employee? I mean, yes, I think it is. It's, it's a great time for the economy, obviously, overall. We've seen great growth. And yes, you're right, uh, we're at pretty much full employment now at this stage. So that has obviously introduced a number of challenges um, around uh, wage expectations and and great opportunity for people within the labour market as well. So while we did see some right sizing in certain firms, um, there has been plenty of capacity within the market for people to find themselves in a, a great situation to pick up other work um, and to get back into maybe different sectors and industries. So that's been great. In fact, looking at some of the, the numbers um, over the next period of time, I mean, realistically, uh, I suppose the challenge of our labour market is going to be the fact that it's going to be a bit of a key constraint on growth in the Irish economy in the next number of years because a lot of our younger working age population are now coming into the labour market. We don't really have huge migration flows and obviously we have some infrastructure challenges around attracting and uh, in some cases even retaining talent. So really important that we focus on the talent and skills that we have in the economy at the moment and really nurture that. Kira Nugent from the Nevin Research Institute. It is a rosy picture right now, but looking down the line, what do you see? Well, I'd like to push back a little bit on some of that stuff. I mean, the headline figures are, are great. We're at record employment. There's distributional issues there in terms of, you know, if we compare ourselves in 2007, which is kind of, the, you know, the benchmark we're trying to get back to after the financial crisis, we've got higher employment rates in all our ages, but still we have lower employment rates uh, for, for younger people and, and, and younger adults and under 35s especially and males as well and what we're seeing is with the cost of living in Ireland is that there's more and more young workers living at home every year and unable to uh, move out so you know it's good to have a job but also there are imbalances there and as was mentioned there are infrastructural issues there on on on, um, on attracting more workers where we might need them and, you know so there's also issues there in terms of um, you know creating the skills that we need for some employers especially in IT there a lot, a lot of uh, it's made a lot of high headlines over the last year and a half or so there's been massive growth in IT it's a driver of Irish Irish growth in the economy um, but we filled almost 50% of those jobs have had, the skills have had to be imported so I think we could be doing a better job in terms of um, filling them through the Irish education system and investing in, in people coming through I think Kevin lots of people starting college or lots of people starting their final year of college in the coming weeks and they'll be looking down the line and thinking wow there's so much work out there for us now but are the skills we're teaching people now 
Kevin mentioned, uh, Kieran mentioned IT skills. But are there skills that we are teaching people now that just will be redundant in a few years' time? Do we really need hundreds and thousands of arts degree holders? Yeah, I, I don't know about redundancy in terms of skills because I think there's a benefit to, you know, knowledge and skills and behaviours and habits that, you know, all, all, all of these programmes are, are generating because the truth is they probably end up not using those maybe in the assumed jobs and roles that they had in mind, maybe going in and starting these programs, because I know there's research out there. I think it's the Institute Future Research talking and, and Dell talking about like the majority of jobs by the 2030s haven't been invented yet. So, so we know what we're going through at the moment is, is, a, is an incredible um, rapid change in terms of the nature of jobs and the types of jobs that are going to be in play in the future. So it's really a matter of, of skills rather than jobs. I think, in terms of the educational policy and also the access as well, you know, fair and equal access, if you like, for all job holders and backgrounds to get to avail of some of these opportunities. I think it was Andrew McAvee who said, maybe summed up both arguments here is that, you know, there's never been a more promising or exciting time to be an employee, but there's never been a more challenging time either in terms of being able to pivot and develop and, and to take advantage of some of the changes that are coming down the track. Maeve, when I speak to companies and you hear from chief executives and other senior people, they say, you know, our biggest trouble is getting talent, but also to get people through the door, we're the ones having to sell ourselves out there. But the market now, particularly for young people, they expect so much more from their employer, not just to be told, here's what you'll be earning and what you're doing, but also here's who we are as a company, here's our culture, and here's what we're doing in the future. Yeah, and it's a great situation. You know, it's important that, you know, when when you interview somebody who you believe is the right fit for your organisation, really important that they should feel that they're also joining an organisation that they want to be with. And I think it is fantastic to see people actually inquiring a little bit more about what the job entails. And I don't think people want anything enormously different. They still want their work to be valued. They still want their opinions to be heard. They still want to be respected. They want to be paid fairly. All of those things. I think what we see in our new generations is the the language and the ability to talk about it when you come through the door. So I'm not surprised anymore when somebody comes in and asks about the IBEC values. And, you know, what what do we work for? What is our our purpose uh, within the, the wider community and how can they contribute to that? And it, it's great to see because it's great participation um, and it's good to see that interest and passion around finding the right role and where they're going. So, yeah, it's it's refreshing to see. Karen, you mentioned that there, there is a, a gap between some types of workers who have skills and some who have different skills. Are we creating a, a two-tier workforce where there are these people who are in great jobs in the technology sector or in finance or consulting? And then there's another employee out there who works in the gig economy, who works in maybe retail or construction, and they're being left behind right now in terms of wages going up and also in terms of their rights and their futures. Yeah, well, we have, uh, by some metrics, the highest market income inequality in the whole of the EU. We've one of the highest shares of low-wage employment. Um, My own work has shown that actually we have a high rate of overqualification as well. You mentioned art students earlier on, but actually the the figures show that it's actually, it's not necessarily that picture that we all have of, you know, what are people studying? I say this as somebody who's studying sociology. (laughs) What are we all doing? What are these people doing studying sociology? It's actually in, in around business degrees, uh, law and admin is, is one of the biggest areas of overqualification. We've got a big chunk of those workers, so that's capacity there to, to um, you know, to, to, to move into some of these job openings. And you know, IT is only about 
five or six percent of, of Irish employment. So, you know, touching on seven percent, even with the with the with the strong growth numbers recently. So I think there's there's sometimes a bit of a uh, over concentration on those uh, great jobs. They are great jobs. They they pay very well, but they they are a small uh, part of of the Irish labour market. So um, you know, there, there's there's ways in terms of you know battling this or, or, or addressing this in, in the future, you know, my institute focuses a lot on, on the state and, and how the state can intervene. We, you talk there in the headlines about climate change and us falling behind on our targets. That's an area that, you know, we should be, provo- you know, uh, training people up for, um, um, to, to, to manage that transition. But whether or not the demand on the other side is going to be there is is an issue there as well, and the state can intervene better to 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 push that along, and so that we're not last in class anymore on 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 the the ecological issues of our time. Kevin, how do we create a more balanced workforce where everybody is seeing their standard living go, living going up? Mm, I think it's a shared a shared accountability there. I think there's certainly more employers can do, and I think you're seeing some of that in terms of some of their practices practices around inclusivity and maybe you know opening up opportunities for people who haven't come through the traditional, maybe education, not looking necessarily for third level, you know, uh, qualification, maybe the apprenticeships piece and so on. Um, I think the whole area of ESG, which is, you know, related to the whole, you know, um, environmental and, and climate side and governance also has an S, though, a social policy element to it where employees are kind of going, OK, we're going to be measured in the next few years, not just in terms of our environmental and our governance and our financial performance, but we're going to be looked at and asked to account for our social practices in terms of how we're, you know, helping existing employees be future fit, even whether they're working with us or elsewhere, um, so that they're future proof in terms of their skills, but also are we inclusive as well in terms of bringing people in from diverse backgrounds? So I think some of that is 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 helping. I think employees have a responsibility as well. Um, and certainly, you know, we've spent a lot of time in, in the whole area of, of personal resilience and agility. So in th- thinking about you taking responsibility for your own career, that, you know, some of those assumptions and jobs are not going to be there. You've got to take some responsibility. And I think the state definitely, I think there's a sort of a need for a more joined up Policy. It's not just about living wage, for instance, or it's about education policy. It's about labor activation. You find sometimes that maybe some of these policies areas are not quite as joined up and kind of future fit as, as they probably could be. So I think there's work for us all actually societally to, to, to get, you know, our grip on this future of work topic because I think up to now we've been extremely adaptive as a country. Um, and the employment situation generally has been quite positive. But we have had to rely on, you know, exporting our people in the past too. So there's something, I think, in the next phase of work about getting ahead of the issue in terms of a joined-up approach and not just reacting to these, you know, um, highs and lows that we have. Yeah, we're going to look at that in just a couple of moments' time because my panel is staying with us looking at the future of work. Why not talk about a couple of things, including artificial intelligence. Is the robots and the algorithm coming for your job? But also, as I said, the issue that a lot of people have been grappling with as as part of their own employment in the last while is, are they going to be working from home more often or in back into the office full-time? Stay with us. Our panel will be going through all of that. But let's get a check on the traffic now with Mark Hogan. And you're welcome back to The Last Word. It's Ian Guider in for Matt today and since the start of the show we've been looking at the world of work, what it will be into the future and what skills you might need and my panel of Maeve McElwee from IBEC, Kieran Nugent from the Nevin Research Institute and 
Kieran Nugent, I beg your pardon, and Kevin Empey from Work Matters is still with us. Joe, you know, we're going to talk about AI and whether that's coming for jobs in a couple of moments. But a big topic that's been with many people for the last number of months is getting that call from the boss saying we want you to come back into the office. Kieran, is that happening more to workers from what you've been hearing? Yeah, well, actually, the data reflects exactly that. I mean, in uh, we, the latest data we have is for 2022, and actually, Ireland is the top out of EU 27 in the most people working at homes, 25%, one in four. Um, it was only 7% in 2019, but in 2021, it was over 30%. So we had this ma- massive increase, obviously, through COVID, and that's obviously declined and anecdotally that is still, you know, I'm hearing even friends of mine saying I'm being dragged back into the office kind of thing, quote unquote. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's worked for some people. It's worked, for, it works for some firms. Um, in, in our institute, I think we're very happy with the productivity, um, that, that's been brought about by, by people, uh, working at home and the flexibility around that. It also obviously, um, you know, when we when we got that first big um, uh, growth in, in in employment at the end of 2021, it was disproportionately uh, women over 40, which you can kind of then assume that you know the, these arrangements with childcare etc. have allowed people to to, um, to to take up employment when otherwise they might have to uh, take a step outside of the labour market. So. Um, you know, but at the same time, yeah, we're talking about some certain banks and certain even even IT companies have been calling people back in. It's a you know, it's a, a judgment call, I, I suppose, in some industries, and you, you might feel that your employees are at home uh, dozing around. But uh, others have clearly seen the benefits of it and the cost of offices and everything like that. That's an issue now, infrastructurally and done. Yeah, Maeve, the, the the gains for people out there—they're not commuting; they're able to do other things at home and still get their work done. So, why are employers asking people increasingly to come back into the office? One of the things that has been really interesting because we're starting to work with the Workplace Relations Commission on drafting the Code of Practice on Right to Request Remote Working. It's quite a mouthful. Um, but actually what they're saying is we don't want the code to upset the working arrangements we've already put in place. So what employers have been doing really since the end of the pandemic is testing and perfecting systems for people to work remotely and looking at how you manage the opportunity to give people flex where you can, but also to look at the balance for the organisation. And really at the heart of all of that, that we see is culture. And it's trying to, I suppose, in some ways, maintain some of the culture that was there pre-pandemic. Culture never stands still, but it's about being able to maintain those relationships, those networks, and making sure, I suppose, that all employees of different generations and cohorts all get a good opportunity and experience in the workplace. That feeling of engagement, there's huge well-being and mental health effects from having networks of people. And Kieran mentioned earlier when we were chatting about the fact that, you know, sometimes you go in and there's nobody there. And for employers calling people in for there to be nobody there is problematic. Why would you do it? So what we're trying to see or what we're seeing employers do and we're trying to do even in our own organisation is make sure that on the days that you come in, there are people there and it's that cultural interaction, the bit of crack down in the canteen, a chat with somebody on the stairs, sparks an idea somewhere else and 
behind that, I have to say, there are huge equality issues as well. So for employers who have to be very conscious of, you know, you'd always have to have some people in, in most environments, you have to make very rigorous decisions around how you split out all of the obligations and rights that people have. You can't give to one person what you can't fairly and objectively deny or grant to somebody else. So there's there's a huge amount of legislation and work and equity that has to be considered behind all of it as well. And because it might work for the individual, it doesn't mean it's going to work for the individual's team. So you've got to weigh up that individual benefit versus the collective of the organisation and try and get all of that in sync. So there is a little bit between recognising it's a huge benefit, it's a huge attraction and retention piece, but there are there are certainly big issues for employers behind it in trying to make it all work and keep it happening. Kevin, our companies holding it over workforce now that if you don't come in, well, in future we won't need you because artificial intelligence will do the job for you. <laughs> well, look, that's a whole that's a that's a that's a big debate, and I think the AI piece, you know, we'll talk about it in more detail. But overall, I think in terms of office based and knowledge based work, you're probably talking about yes, some replacement of work, but but augmenting. How many jobs. jobs could go from AI? Well, certainly those those the jobs around the whole repeatable. Yeah, every time you you predict about how many jobs are going to be lost, then the 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 reality ends up bouncing back because you're only dealing with one issue, and one issue is oh yes, that job can be automated, therefore it could go. But what we're not taking account of is a new job has popped up over here, or a new skill, or people are transitioning. There is no doubt that some jobs displacement may go, but the, the predictions are not as bad as they used to be. Where the predictions really are, the majority of jobs are going to be augmented, in other words, changed by or enhanced by AI rather than completely replaced. The, the challenge is going to be equity to make sure that those jobs that are replaced, that we're not raising the bar, you know, for people accessing the workforce. So we might call a job mundane, we might call a job replaceable because of AI, but actually are we creating a barrier to entry to the labour market for some for some folks to get who may not have the educational background uh, that, that some enjoy. For people out there worried about the future, what, sh- what skills should they be looking at learning? So there's a whole piece about, of course, around the analytical side and the STEM and the technology side. But our work actually has started to really, really focus, and this goes back seven, eight years, on some of the more transversal skills. In other words, if you try and chasing every single technical skill and every every piece of technology in terms of skills development, that's going to be changed by the time you know you come. The half life of skills is increasing all the time. I think one of the biggest concentrations in, uh, of of attention, and and this goes right to the educational system too, um, as well as um, in in employment, is around areas of you know personal resilience, you know personal agility, being able to adapt, being able to. Uh, purposefully move and test your assumptions that actually that job career path is not necessarily going to be open to me now, so maybe I need to pivot over here. In our research, we talked to to one lady who was going through, she was on a task force, the the objective of which was to automate her job. (laughs) And she was in that task force. And I said, do you not see a bit of a a downside here with this in terms of your future? But it was her attitude, uh, Ian, it was incredible, which which was, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a front seat here. I'm able to be a part of where my job and where my discipline is going with technology um, and I trust the employer that I'm going to be able to be um, you know, reassigned, etc. So it's about people accepting the fact that more automation is going to come, more AI is going to come, more flexibility is going to come and how am I going to 
uh, be able to have the skills to be able to adapt and react to that in the future. I could spend another half hour talking about this, but the clock is against us today. Maeve McAwee, Kieran Nugent and Kevin MP. thank you very much for coming in. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-